0: In times like these, do you need a savior? Amen. Be very sure. Be very sure. Our God is a solid rock. He is a solid rock. Uh, these are these are interesting times to live in, friends. Uh, these are tumultuous times, these are very dark times, but God has placed each and every one of us here for a very specific reason for these times. And last week we began a series called Contagious Christianity. And we're going to continue that series, so go with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus is drawing these, uh, these images, these metaphors for us, because he knows very well that in times like these, each and every one of us needs a very sure anchor. We're in Matthew chapter 5. When you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Actually, before we get into studying this, I I just want to have a word of prayer because Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. He calls us the light of the world. Very humbling, actually, when you think about it, because Jesus himself is the light of the world. And then he calls his followers the light of the world. Could it be that he's actually calling us to follow him in such a way that we are the very presence of Jesus in this dark, dark world. Wow. And, and for that, oh, we need to pray. <laughs> we need to pray. Now last week we talked about having an impact list, right? An impact list. One, two, three individuals that we would pray and labor for before the very throne of God. One or two or three individuals who are in darkness. One or two or three who are decomposing, who need the salt of the earth, Right? Have you been praying for your three? Uh, Amen. Okay. If you haven't, go ahead and take a piece of paper right now and start writing those names down. And what I want to do right now as we pray together is I want to have a time of silent prayer where we can actually pray for the names on our hearts and on our lists. Okay. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we are opening up the Bible once again. And we're asking that you would speak to us as you have in the past. And that you would speak to us in such a way that we would be instructed that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged and transformed as well. And Father, we want to be contagious Christians, not so that we can puff up our chests and say we're influential. But we want to be contagious Christians because otherwise the earth will die and the world will grow dark. God, there are names that you have placed on our hearts, and maybe we haven't yet heard those names, but I pray right now that you would give us a spirit of supplication and intercession that we would join our voices with the voice of Jesus who is praying for each and every one of us right now. And so just now in the next few moments of silent prayer, go ahead and just lift up to Jesus the names of those that you want to be a light to. Oh, Father, you know right well the weakness of our own hearts because we ourselves are in deep need of prayer. And it's so humbling, often um, rebuking at times, to, to put ourselves in a position of praying for one another. But, but Lord, you've called us to that. You've, you've given us the spirit of intercession and supplication. And I just think of that text in Romans chapter 8 that says that we, often ought, we know not how we ought to pray but the Spirit makes intercession for us. And so God, please, take the groanings of our hearts that you've just heard and translate them to the heavenly language. Take uh, these feeble prayers and join them with the merits and righteousness of Christ. You have heard the names of precious friends and family that are in darkness, that spiritually speaking are, are, are in death mode. And God, we pray that you would do whatever it takes to halt that process and reverse it and give them conversion and transformation. And Father, we ask humbly that you would equip us to be an answer to our own prayer. So now speak to us. Please, counsel us. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen. All right, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Are you there? Say amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, and this is really just kind of serving, as we said last week, it's serving as a framework for our entire series, contagious Christianity. Christianity ought to be contagious. It ought to spread. Um, I know that maybe some of us right now are feeling the effects of someone else's contagion, right? <laughs> and, uh, and that's okay, but, but God is ask, actually encouraging us to be, to live in such a way that we would be infectious, Last week we talked about it. If we want to be contagious, be converted. Amen? If we want to be contagious, it's not about necessarily if I just pull this trick out of the bag or if I practice this method, if I do this formula, everything's going to be just fine in terms of my ability to witness to others. And true, there are some techniques. But friends, it's not just about technique. It's about being converted. Amen? (laughs) So before we talk about Before we talk about best practices, so to speak, we're going to be talking about being contagious persons. Being contagious persons. And so part one last week was be converted. Part two, as you'll see, walking the walk. Walking the walk. So you're there with me. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. The Bible says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Ooh, we're just going to stop right there, all right, because these are strong words. You know, we're talking about it today. We're not just talking about best practices. We'll talk about that in, in a future uh, session. But right now, we want to be understanding of what kind of life is Jesus really calling me to live. You know, uh, there's a Christian author. Her name is Rebecca Pippert. She wrote a book several years ago called Out of the Salt Shaker. Because we talk about being salt, but a lot of times we just kind of clump up in a salt shaker and not, not necessarily get sprinkled all over the earth, you know? And so she talks about being out of the salt shaker, and she writes this, I believe that much of our evangelism is ineffective because we depend too much upon technique and strategy. Evangelism has slipped into the sales department. I am convinced that we must look at Jesus and the quality of life he calls us to. Let me read that again. I am convinced that we must look at Jesus and the quality of life he calls us to as a model for what to believe and how to reach out to others. Very interesting. So it's not just looking at techniques and strategies so that we can be better salespeople for Jesus Christ. It's about living a different quality of life. And here's why we're starting in Matthew chapter 5, because... If you notice, Matthew 5 verse 13, where Jesus says, you're the light of the world, and then down in verse 14, where he says, you are the, excuse me, in verse 13 he says, you are the salt of the earth, and down in verse 14 he says, you are the light of the world. This is all uh, coming right on the heels of the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, there's this section from verses 3 through 9, 3 through 12, it's called the what commonly, you know? The Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes, Do you know that when Jesus says you're the salt, you're the light, it's right on the heels of how he's describing the kind of life we ought to live. So notice, just very quickly, you see some of the descriptions. Say, for example, verse 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How about verse 6? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. In other words... These are all pointers, these are all indicators of the quality of life, the character of individuals who are part of the kingdom. And Jesus is essentially saying, hey look, you're blessed when you live like this. You're blessed when you live like this. You're blessed when you're meek. You're blessed when you're righteous. You're blessed when you're pure. You're blessed when you're merciful. And when you're blessed like this, you'll be a blessing in such a way that you're salt and light. Do we follow that, yes or no? Yeah? And so you're blessed. The way we live for Christ affects our witness of Christ. The way we live for Christ affects our witness about Christ. It affects how contagious we are. It's cause and effect. And so that's why Jesus says those very strong words in verse 13. After he declares, hey, you're the salt of the earth. He's actually getting straight to a warning because he says, But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In other words, it's possible to lose your flavor. It's possible to lose your punch, your vital power, your catalytic impact. Why? Because... Your vital power is dependent upon the quality of life that you live, the character that you have. And so here, this begs a very crucial question. How in the world do we lose our punch? And maybe the better question, once we answer that, is how do we keep it? Amen? (laughs) How do we keep contagious? And so that's what we want to answer, because I believe that the Bible gives us that answer. And so we're going to go look at a parallel passage in Luke, okay? Go with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, so if you're in Matthew, you're going to Mark and then to Luke, so just turn a few pages to the right. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and it's verse 33 that we're going to start with, 33 to 35. Luke chapter 14, when you're there, say, I'm there. there. All right. Now, we're going to find a pattern here that whenever Jesus talks about salt, he's doing it in context, okay? Just like we saw it in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes kind of shaped the context. He's talking about character, talking about quality of life, and then he talks about salt. In the same way, we're going to find it here in Luke chapter 14. He's talking about some sort of big idea when it comes to our lives, and then he talks about salt, all right? So, let's just look at the salt stuff, all right? The salt stuff in verse 34 and 35. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Sounds familiar, right? Verse 35, it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, he was using this as a climax for how to live, the Beatitudes, all right? How about here in Luke chapter 14? What is the context where Jesus inserts this punchy point about salt? If you just let your eyes kind of gaze up the page a little bit, say starting in verse 25, there are multitudes all around Jesus. And in verse 26, he's looking at all these people who are kind of vying for his attention, saying that they're associated with Jesus. And he's kind of drawing a line in the sand. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." Jesus is raising the stakes. He's not calling for disunity within the family. What he is calling for is a supreme affection for Jesus alone. And in verse 27, he gets even more pointed. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So in this context, Jesus is talking about, hey, look, if you're really wanting to follow me, it's coming at a cost, and you've got to count that cost. If you're really going to follow me, it's going to mean the forsaking of all others. If you're really going to follow me, it's going to follow me all the way. That's why by the end of verse 33, he's talking about those who do not follow all the way. Verse 33, he says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In light of this, those that don't forsake all, those who are not totally committed, he says, just like salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. Are we catching the association or am I just being super vague right now? <laughs> He's using the salt that has lost its flavor as an illustration or a metaphor of someone who professes to forsake all for Jesus but really hasn't. So, how does salt lose its punch? How does salt lose its flavor? By professing to forsake all but not. By being Christian but only in part. By not practicing what we preach. The positive flip side of this is that when we do forsake all, when we are wholehearted, when we do live lives of consistency, you are salty. Do you catch that? Yeah, don't miss the positive because, yeah, these are strong words, right? Yeah, we need to take this warning and swallow it and chew on it. Mm-hmm. But we need to see what the flip side, the instruction is. Hey, look, live all for Jesus. So you want to be contagious? Be totally committed. That's it. You want to be contagious? Be totally committed. You know, there's a, there's a verse in 2 Chronicles. Actually, let's look this one up. Uh, Just a part here, a little bit of a sidebar. 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. I have often looked to this as a promise, but sometimes I forget that it's actually a rebuke. (laughs) 2 Chronicles. This is Old Testament. So, uh, it's before Psalms. 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Chapter 16, verse 9 is what I'm going for. 2 Chronicles, chapter 16. 2 Chronicles, chapter 16. It goes 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, then 1st and 2nd Chronicles. When you found it, say amen. amen. Okay, if there's a neighbor next to you that needs some help, go ahead and, and help him out. 2nd Chronicles chapter 16. And this is, a, this is actually the story of a king, one of the kings of Judah, King Asa. And King Asa, he was one who actually followed the Lord. He was one who, as a leader, could have easily just led himself. But really, he wanted to follow God. It, it, those prime examples of kings like that, they're few and far between, actually, when you read the history and the Chronicles. But King Asa actually came to a point where, after trusting God with this battle, after trusting God with this struggle, he came to another instance where he could have gone either way, and instead of trusting God, he actually trusted a human king, a human power. He set up a treaty with, a, with an enemy nation that he shouldn't have. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, God speaks to him, and he says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Can you imagine God's eyes <laughs> scanning the landscape of Modesto? And he's looking for something. Actually, he's looking for someone. What is he looking for? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is what? Is loyal to him. Whoa, that God is so eager. He's looking, looking, looking. He's scanning, scanning, scanning. He's looking for people whose hearts are completely loyal so that he can show himself strong on their behalf. Unfortunately for Asa, this was a situation in which he wasn't completely loyal to God. And God was just reminding him, hey, look, I wanted to show myself strong on your behalf. I wanted to pour out my spirit. I wanted to make you contagious. Contagious. But your heart wasn't completely loyal. That's why the rest of verse 9 says, And this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. Whoa. Heartbreak. But friend, don't don't miss the positive spin here. God wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are completely loyal to Jesus. In other words, you want to be contagious? Be totally committed. You want to be contagious? Be completely loyal. The point is that the completely loyal life is the only life that God can safely trust great influence to. Think about that. Why would God trust influence to someone or someones who are not completely loyal to him? He'd only be worsening his case here on earth, right? God is looking for lives that he can strongly support lives that he can make contagious and have great influence with people, but those lives ought to be fully and completely committed to Jesus. And so, this is what makes us punchy. This is what gives a contagious Christian their vital power, their catalytic impact, a heart that's completely loyal to him. Go with me now to Mark, okay? Let's look at another salt verse. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. And here, Mark kind of carries the same idea, but it's as if he's taking this loyalty idea, this forsaking all idea, and he's giving it some flesh and bone because he's recognizing that the divided heart is very dangerous. When our hearts are not completely loyal to God, uh, when our hearts are actually divided and we've got, you know, one foot in, one foot out, it actually creates havoc. It wreaks havoc. So you're there in Mark chapter 9. The very last verses of Mark chapter 9, these are the salt verses here, talking about salt losing its flavor. When you're there, say, Amen. 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 All right. Mark chapter 9, in the context of which is, is really pretty strong, it says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Verse fifty: Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Again, familiar words, right? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Jesus again is highlighting for us the very reality, the possibility that salt can lose its impact. How? How? Well, in this context, what is Jesus talking about? If again you just scan your eyes up a few verses on your page, say to verse forty-two. Jesus is talking about people who are living offensively. (laughs) Verse 42, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. And when Jesus says, you know, little ones, maybe, yeah, he's talking about those young in age. But notice how he says, one of those little ones who believe in me. So maybe it's talking about young in faith. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, is Jesus literally talking about being violent towards sinners, yes or no? No, praise God. (laughs) What he is talking about is the seriousness of living in such a way that we cause others to stumble. Do you realize that we can actually do that? That we can live in such a way, speak in such a way. The Sabbath school lesson today, talking about the power of our words. We can live, speak, act in such a way that it causes others around us to stumble. And Jesus says, watch it. Watch it. And then he gets even more specific. In verse 43, he talks about hand. Hey, if, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Again, again, look, look, look. Jesus is not talking literally, I hope I hope we're not going to come back here next week maimed, okay? (laughs) Um, What Jesus is talking about, though, is intentionally severing yourself from that which causes you to sin because it's going to cause others to stumble. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 45. If if your foot causes you to sin, verse 47. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. (laughs) Again, the point is, Living in such a way as to make others stumble saps us of our saving influence. And all of that stems from not forsaking all, right? Wouldn't you say? All of that stems from what we talked about in Luke 14. Uh, Hey, I I follow Jesus, but I don't. Uh, I have desires for him, but I I have desires for the world. You know, all these kinds of things. That loyalty or the divided loyalty is what manifests itself in these offensive or willfully sinful ways. It's dangerous to live divided. It's dangerous, not just for your sake, but for the sake of those around us. And then insert, if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? Do we see today that your saltiness is totally contingent or dependent or affected by the way you and I live? Do we follow that today, yes or no? Yeah? Here's the point. The way we live influences our influence. The way we live impacts our impact. In a devotional I've been reading, it's called In Heavenly Places. A a few days ago, it, it had something like this to say. It said, God calls upon every church member to enter his service. Amen? All right? God calls upon every church member to enter his service. Truth that is not lived, that is not imparted to others loses its life-giving power, its healing virtue. Ooh, truth that is not lived. It's one thing to tell truth. It's one thing to share truth. It's one thing to say truth. It's one thing to talk the talk, but it's another thing to walk the walk. Truth that is not lived loses its healing power. You see, we live in a world of increasing skepticism. Wouldn't you agree? We live in a world where we are so, like our default mode is to detect a scam behind the next door. That when the phone rings, we know it's a telemarketer who's just trying to steal our identity, right? (laughs) We live in a world of increasing skepticism where people are starving for authenticity. People are starving for something that is real, for something that is more than just talk. Will they find it in Christians? Will they find it in us? You see, if you want to be contagious, be totally committed. And let that commitment reveal itself in a life. Reveal itself in a character that is consistent, that is more than just talk. Because walking the walk gives weight and power to the words we share and the witness we share long before it reaches people's ears. The way we live, the way we live affects how effective we are. And we know this, we know this in reality. We, we've seen, let's take negative examples for example. We, we've seen it when someone does something that's just a little bit off, and you question it. And then they make a profession of having sincere care for you. And then they make a profession that they're a follower of Jesus, and you, you scratch your head and you say, oh, really? Yeah. We, we, we know that. We know when someone's life negatively impacts their influence. Why is that? Like we've said, because if you want to be totally contagious, you've got to be totally committed. You've got to walk the walk. That's what really gives weight to our talk. And really, when you think about it, the prime example of this is Jesus himself. You know, I've often wondered, you know, all throughout the Gospels, there's peppered these phrases of like, he spoke as one having authority. Have you read things like that? The people heard him and were astonished. And I, I think to myself, man, what was it? Like, did he have just, like, more vocal cords or something? Like, did he have just a stronger decibel volume to it? No, wh- what was it that people were so astounded by Jesus? And in just a short period of time, too, it was like a few weeks, and people were like, oh, man, let's listen to this guy. He was obviously contagious, right? <laughs> there was actually a time where, where uh, Jesus was teaching at the, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's recorded in John chapter 7. Jesus is teaching, and, and he actually kind of shows up on the scene uh, kind of uh, subtly. People were expecting him there, but they didn't find him, and then all of a sudden he just appears, and he saying, hey, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. And the Pharisees were listening to how everybody else was responding to Jesus. They, they heard them talking about, oh man, could this be the Christ? And the Pharisees actually decided, hey, let's send out a... a, a you know, a, a, a group of officers, soldiers to, to apprehend Jesus. And these officers, they go to find Jesus, and Jesus is still teaching in the temple, and the officers return to Jesus, excuse me, the officers return to the Pharisees, they return to the religious leaders, and they're empty-handed, and the Pharisees say, where is the guy? And you know what the guys say, the officers? They say, never a man spoke like this man. Never a man, how, what, what was it? There's a book, Gospel Workers, it says, never a man spoke like this man, because never a man lived like this man. You know, Jesus only had a few years to share in public ministry, but he had 30 years at the carpenter's shop. What was that about? He was living a life. Building, yeah, maybe building chairs, but I think building character. He was building a life that gave weight to his words. And so when he spoke, never a man spoke like this man because never a man lived like this man. Come on, you say. That was Jesus. That's the Son of God. Come on. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with that? Yes, yes. But in Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Come on, that's the Son of... Exactly, that is the Son of God, and he promises to live out his life in us. When we're completely loyal to him, when we're crucified with Christ. Let me read you that quote. It's from Gospel Workers, page 244. The officers who were sent to, G- to take Jesus reported that never man spake like this man. But the reason of this was that never man lived like this man. For if he had not so lived, he could not have so spoken. His words bore with them a convincing power because they came from a heart pure and holy, full of love and sympathy, beneficence and truth. What a man is has greater influence than what he says. The quiet, consistent, godly life is a living epistle. It's a living letter, known and read of all men. There is eloquence beyond that of words in the quiet, consistent life of a pure, true Christian. Do you want to speak eloquently? (laughs) Live for Jesus. (laughs) Right? I love it. And it's not like it's bombastic. It's not like it's dramatic. It's the quiet, consistent life of a pure, true Christian. So, what's the appeal? You want to be contagious, be totally committed. <laughs> and let that commitment live itself out in a quiet, consistent life. Let it live itself out in purity and in truth, integrity. So how many of us today want to be contagious Christians? <laughs> Amen? Then be totally committed. Be the message you long to share. Do you understand that? Be the message you long to share. You want to share that God loves people unconditionally? Be the message that God loves people unconditionally. You want to share with people the truth of God's rest on his holy day? Be at rest On his holy day. And let others around you rest as well. Wow, you want to share the the awesome truth that God's spirit wants to dwell in this body temple and we ought to take care of it? Be the message. Are we following today, yes or no? Yeah? (laughs) So what we can really do, I mean, if you want to take home challenge or whatever, I'll give you a couple here. One, examine your beliefs and then compare them to your practice. Uh, That's a little bit of self-examination there, right? Examine your beliefs, what you want to share with, say, your impact list, what you would love to declare to them if you just had their full audience. And then commit yourself to practice that. Commit yourself to demonstrate that even without words. There was a famous uh, or a well-known monk, his name was St. Francis of Assisi. He says, preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. (laughs) Love it. Why? Because we can be the message long before we share the message. Now, it doesn't neglect, doesn't ignore sharing that message, articulating it, right? That's why the two metaphors, there's salt and there's light. There's the invisible presence of salt and the very visible, articulate presence of light. Okay? So we don't neglect that. We just prioritize. Be the message. Be the message you want to share. Here's a second, second take-home challenge. You know, Mark chapter 9 talks about a hand to cut off, a foot to cut off, an eye to pluck out. What are the hands, the habits, the actions that are compromising our commitment? This week, ask Jesus to sever that hand. Amen? Amen? Feet, what are the, the directions we're going, the paths we're laying out for ourselves that really are compromising our consistent life? Forsake that. This week, forsake that. Your eyes. What are we giving attention to? What are we allowing to enter our senses That actually compromises our commitment to Jesus. You think it's worth it to sever that too? I do. Not just for your own salvation, but the salvation of little ones around you. Right? Friends, this is a very simple message. Or big ones. ones. (laughs) That's right. And so that we ought not to live offensively whether to others, whether they be young or old, whether they be small or grown. We ought to live in such a way that we give light to the world. Amen. Would you pray with me as we close today? Father, this is a, uh, this is a very pointed teaching from Jesus himself. We want to take it for what it really is, not just with a grain of salt, so to speak. Lord, we really just want to take your message for what it is. You're giving us a strong warning out of strong love for us because you long for us to be effective salt. You long for us to live in this world, to have relations with those around us in such a way Not that we would cause them to stumble, but that we would cause them to be saved. Oh Lord, we want to be salt. That is salty. (laughs) God, as you're just kind of examining our hearts, as as there is still much to do with this message in our hearts throughout this week, we pray that you would give us such a softness of heart to respond with an affirmative, to respond with a yes, Jesus. You want this? I'll give it to you. Oh Lord, give us eyes to see the things that cause us to compromise our consistency, the things that cause us to compromise our commitment to Jesus. Oh Lord, please, save us from ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you want to do a work in us so that you can do a work through us. And we pray for those again on our impact list, Lord. I pray that you would Just supply us grace if we have in some way been the reason for maybe their disillusionment or distance from you. Oh God, give us grace, give them grace, and use us to be salt in their lives today. We thank you, God, that this is something that you want to do and that you can do. Because we pray in Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen, Amen. You're invited to join us for prayer here uh, in the side room and also for fellowship luncheon. God bless you.